What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Chris Mad Dog Russo and Stephen A. Smith once again locked horns and debated the most important sports topics of the day yesterday on First Take, creating excellent television along the way. During a discussion of Jimmy Butler's 45-point explosion in Game 1, Smith revealed that he is pulling for the Miami Heat in these playoffs so he can enjoy maximum fun in the sun. Let me be very clear, he said. I'm rooting for the Miami Heat to go to the finals. Yes, I am for my own personal reasons. Responding to this, Russo landed the following jab. First off, now I'm going to root for a Milwaukee-Memphis finals so you can have a wonderful week bouncing around Milwaukee and Memphis. Even the mere suggestion of such a horror sent Smith reeling. Don't do that to me, he said, shaking his head. Don't do that to me. Let me tell you something. I might cry on national television if that happened. I would be very sad. And with that, the chuckle fest was on. Not everyone is laughing. The mayor of Milwaukee sent a care package with the city's finest goods over to the first take crew on Monday, an act of groveling that was not entirely appreciated by all constituents. But hey, content is content. Such a peace offering was done to prevent a repeat of last year when the show painfully stepped all over itself, degrading multiple cities that have the audacity to exist between the coasts. And on one hand, I truly understand that Smith is playing a character, that this is all fun and games not to be taken seriously, that Russo was only bringing up Milwaukee and Memphis to get under his longtime friend's skin in jest. At the same time, though, it's sort of mind-blowing to me that such a blind spot can exist, that ESPN's most prominent talents are either oblivious to how these bits land, or they simply don't care. Let's be perfectly clear here. Milwaukee in the summertime is amazing. Only a person who has never been there in the summertime would suggest otherwise. Memphis is a fun place to be as well. Actually, I've never heard anything negative about the place until yesterday. It's true that the Bucks play in the 37th largest market and the Grizzlies in the 51st. We're not exactly talking about, say, Appleton and Mumfreesboro here, though. Even if we were, what would ever give someone the impression people sitting at home want to hear you mock and demean where they live? Smith and Russo are two of the most talented people in the business, and if they aren't generating reaction, then they aren't doing their job. But damn, let me clue you in on a little secret as someone who is proud of living in flyover country. 
We simply have no patience hearing grievances from multimillionaires about an all-expenses-paid work trip to cover the NBA Finals, wherever it takes place. It's gratuitous and disconnected from the realities on the other side of the television. There's no reason for me to swerve here out of the way and write a working-class manifesto on a rainy Thursday, yet one can't help but wonder who people at ESPN think is watching ESPN and consuming ESPN content. Spoiler alert, they don't all live in the 10 largest U.S. cities. Most of them live in places that look and feel like a blip compared to Milwaukee and compared to Memphis. The real problem is that these side swipes play perfectly into two narratives. First, the more reasonable one, that ESPN overemphasizes big market and coastal proclivities. See the insistence on Yankees Red Sox or the disconnect between its current radio lineup and the affiliates broadcasting it. Second, is that it is grist for the culture wars, painting the company as indifferent to the average Joe. My stance on that grift, being overwhelmingly hollow, is well documented, and I should reiterate it here, but this cute little back and forth doesn't help matters at all. Some needed perspective. The sky is not falling. Most people on the receiving end of these digs can brush them off. It's just that they shouldn't have to. Not for the crime of patronizing the network's most important debate show. It's entirely possible there are some on-air personalities who have never been told that this trope stinks. Hopefully, that changes today. Joel Embiid sank a three-pointer as time ran out in overtime to give the Philadelphia 76ers a 3-0 series lead over the Toronto Raptors and add an indelible playoff moment to his growing Hall of Fame ledger. The shot came on an out-of-bounds play set up by a Doc Rivers timeout when the previous possession went sideways and moved toward emptiness. Raptors supporters, forced to cope with the crushing reality that their season is effectively over, have found an outlet for their pain, and that outlet is insisting that the shot never should have happened because Rivers crossed the midcourt line in order to catch the official's attention and get the fateful stoppage. Here's a tweet from Jesse Blake, CEO at SDPN Sports and host of the Jesse Blake Sports Report. He lives in Toronto. Refs didn't have the balls to call a tech on Doc Rivers. You can't do this. In a follow-up tweet, Blake posts the rule, section four, the coach and others. Subpoint A, the coach's position may be on or off the bench from the substitution box line, closest to the coach's bench to the baseline. A coach is not permitted to cross the midcourt line and violators will be assessed an unsportsmanlike technical foul immediately. All assistants and trainers must remain on the bench. Coaches and trainers are not permitted to go to the scorer's table for any reason except during a dead ball. And to be fair, it certainly seems that by the letter of the law, a technical should have been assessed. This would have resulted in a free throw for Toronto and, potentially, a dramatically different series outcome. One can understand the frustration because the evidence is conclusive. At the same time, how often is such a call made? Can you imagine if that had been the outcome? This morning would be full on controversy, wall to wall on all the networks, instead of having that discussion contained to local message boards. And if we were to go down that hypothetical road, Sixers fans and Rivers himself would have an honest gripe about getting screwed because the officials absolutely have to be looking in his direction in case he wants to call timeout. In the wise words of Lost, what happened happened. We can't go back. Toronto should set some reasonable expectations here 
as this idea to protest and replay simply isn't realistic. It's worth trying, though. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. As soon as the Tigers retire the Yankees in the top half of the fourth, Miguel Cabrera will be at the plate going for his 3,000th hit. He had three last night. It is a day to celebrate a player unlike any other, I think, in Detroit sports history, both for the good, the bad. My relationship as a fan with Cabrera is complex. It's changed a lot through a decade and a half. Drives me crazy. Famously wrote that he was done two years ago. Took a lot of heat from that. He has shown signs at points of being a contact hitter, a guy who can actually put the ball in play. He's a professional hitter. You can still see the shell of the skill set there. I don't want to get too negative because I'm going to be speaking later about what he's meant to me as a baseball fan, what he's meant to the community, and what a gift it's been to be able to watch him ply his craft. He will go down as one of the greatest right-handed hitters in baseball history. There's no debate about that. Interestingly enough, if you start going on baseball reference right now and you take a look at where the hit leaders are, the active hit leaders, and you start doing some math in terms of age and forecasting their productivity long-term, there's a chance that Cabrera is the last to reach this benchmark for a long, long time. Mike Trout has a shot, Bryce Harper potentially, and then you, this young crop of talent. There's no telling exactly what they will do, but it could be another eight years until we see something like this. It's always special. The fact that someone who has 500 home runs was able to collect this many base hits is pretty amazing. I was peeking again last night. The biggest comparison, I think, in the modern game for Miguel Cabrera is Manny Ramirez. You wonder what type of star Cabrera would have been had he played in Boston, had he played with the Yankees. He won his singular World Series with the Marlins at age 20, batting cleanup, hitting a home run off Roger Clemens, announced his arrival to the world. And since then, he's done nothing but be great, a triple crown winner, unbelievably charismatic player on the field to the point of distraction. Nobody plays the game like him. He has fun. Every day is a gift. You can see it. He's full of hijinks. It's just amazing. He, he really ushered in an era in which I was able to appreciate that looser style of play. I'll never forget the first game that I went to of his. My dad and I packed into U.S. Cellular Field in Chicago must have been the first weekend of the year. My dad was visiting me when I lived there. They had just signed Cabrera, the Tigers had, and we were watching him warm up, have all the fun, pointing around. He was just goofing, acting a fool the whole time. My dad, who's even more old school than myself, actually much more old school than myself, couldn't really wrap his mind around who this player was. We went to the game on Friday. I think by Sunday, he had become my dad's favorite player because it was so obvious the special type of talent that he presented that he possessed and his flair for the dramatic and the big hit he has all the tools one of the game's biggest stars at an era where everybody laments that we're not making superstars he had all the necessary ingredients that made him someone that 
resonated with multiple generations. A whole generation here in Detroit know him as a Tiger. But again, with the Marlins is when he enjoyed his greatest success. But more on that when he comes to the plate. I can report news that we knew was going to be news because it was obvious from the get-go. And that's that CNN Plus is wrapping up operations. They will close at the end of April. This is an amazing failure. It launched on March 29th after a full-scale blitz. Marketing was out of control. They really thought this was going to be a major revenue stream, did Warner Brothers. There were reports that came out quickly that there were less than 10,000 active users two weeks into the platform's existence. That was bad. It appears they have decided, in the words of Joe Bluth, I made a giant mistake in a reversing course. Sarah Fisher over at Axios has been the best on this story. She reports that CNN's original plan was for CNN Plus to become profitable in four years by investing $1 billion into the service. Executives believe that if it weren't kneecapped, its growth rate would have rivaled print outlets like the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. But here's the rub, an important thing to point out, and something that should have been obvious to everybody from the get-go. Internal data shows that the programs that do well are the ones that mimic live TV, like Five Things with Kate Bolden and Reliable Sources Daily with Brian Stetler. And that's the problem. People watch CNN because it's on their TV. It's reliable as being in the background. It's learned behavior to turn it on. It's a huge ask to have the public go out of their way and find a more casual version of their CNN anchors who... Maybe the best in the business, I think, are the most professional, but they lack the cachet of the Fox News primetime hosts, the MSNBC hosts. If you're watching Fox News or you're watching MSNBC, it stands to reason that you have a particular devotion to the point of view expressed by the anchor where those who are watching CNN are kind of liking it right down the middle. That's what they're in for. They don't necessarily need to see the personality. They don't need to see the other dimension of these people. They're trusted because they can be vanilla. They want them to be almost robotic. It's not great to say, but it is the truth. And I don't want to dance on the grave of CNN Plus. I know there's a lot of that going on. I don't even think I deserve a pat on the back for saying that it was going to fail because we all knew it was going to fail. It's the last in a long line of ideas that look terrible on paper and proved to be terrible in execution. Yesterday on the podcast, Stephen Douglas and I talked about the problems in watching sports on streaming. Sports are kind of the same deal. You're used to turning your TV on, the station sports are on, and just letting it wash over you. You don't want to seek it out. And when you seek it out, it better be good. I didn't watch any of the CNN Plus programming, so I can't say if it was good or not. It's clear that it was not worth the effort. It was not worth the money. I don't know what it portends for news in the future. I think that Fox and Fox Nation have something, but again, they have a devoted audience. They have a whole segment of the population that wants that point of view, that wants that perspective, that wants to live 
in that universe. There are not many people out there who want to exist in a CNN expanded universe. Miguel Cabrera will be coming to the plate shortly here as we get through the six or seven sports betting ads that litter every single commercial break watching these local baseball games. What a time to be alive. All right, Miggy struck out. The quest for 3,000 continues. It looks like he's going to get two more at-bats today. So let's just continue the Miguel Cabrera conversation now. Watching him win the Triple Crown was one of the most magnificent sporting summers of my life. It was unbelievable to watch someone combine power and contact and just baseball acumen. If you're treated to 162 games of his at-bats, you watch just the most fluid, natural talent you've ever seen up there. Cabrera notoriously does not study film. He is not a gym rat. He simply walks into the box, sees the ball, hits the ball. Doesn't matter who's on the mound because he is always in control. I've never seen a batter set the pitcher up with more frequency and more success than Cabrera does. He'll play possum early in the count. He'll give up an at-bat for one later in the game where it means more, and then he will make the pitcher pay for his mistake. His influence on the Tigers hitters who have been there for 15 years is immeasurable. We all know that when you close your eyes and you picture a Miguel Cabrera hit, it's going to right center. Even his home runs after a certain point have largely gone to right field. He has immense power, but he also has the immense confidence to let the ball get deep on him, knowing that he has the quickest, smoothest, most mechanical hands that he's able to flick the ball either over the fence or into right field or in the gap. It is a pleasure and a sight to behold. The team has struggled as he has fallen off because age has caught up to him. His health has caught up to him. It's been something that's stuck in my craw for a while that he hit third for so many years when he didn't deserve to be there. Today, he's hitting fourth as an homage. He's been dropped fifth in the order this year as the Tigers finally have a decent lineup around him. And he seems receptive to accepting a role as a role player as this young crop of talent ascends and hopefully the Tigers compete over the next two years. Having said all that, there are some things he needs to do to improve. There are some things he needs to do to show that that acceptance is universal. I've never seen a slower player run into more outs on the base paths. No one runs through more stop signs than Cabrera. And he does it simply because he wants to. And it's fun. I can't tell you how many times he's made the first out at third base, needlessly been thrown out of the plate to kill a rally. It's cost games. Everybody loves when he makes it because you get that viral clip. You get those jokes about his speed. But more often than not, it is a detriment to the team. I think watching him transition into this elder statesman will be a very rewarding thing for Tigers fans. I also think it'll be very rewarding for Cabrera. You saw what happened with Pujols. Pujols fell off a cliff. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen in this case because I don't know if it's even possible 
for Cabrera's bat to fall off to such a point where it doesn't deserve at least some occasional at bats. He is not a strikeout liability, even at a time when strikeouts are exploding, even at a time as he's getting older. You wonder what he would be like if his body was still in peak condition. I think he still has all the skill set, all the muscle memory, all the hand-eye coordination that he once had. It's just that he's 38 years old, going on 42. The contract is an albatross, but his value will be seen in how he shepherds this young team that wants to make noise, wants to make a splash, and wants to improve. And I honestly, I think he's going to do a pretty good job. I don't think any other team is interested in him. It's a marriage out of necessity at this point. And I think he will continue to make the best of it. These past few years where he crossed the 500 home run mark and the 3000 hit mark eventually rejuvenated him. It's been a time to reflect on all that he's done. He's taken great personal pride in it. He's not someone who talks about himself too often, but you can tell he's really enjoying the attention and he deserves all of it. His place in Detroit sports history is unique, as I mentioned before, because he's not Barry Sanders. He's not Kelvin Johnson. The two Detroit Lions that retired at 30 years old because of a dysfunctional franchise. With those players, you always love them. They never had any warts. They were just spellbinding anytime they had the ball or were going up to catch the ball. Isaiah Thomas was a bit frustrating, but he was a leader and he was a champion. Nobody else on those Pistons teams, the bad boys or the 2004 team that won the NBA crown as part of six straight trips to the Eastern Conference final was as transcendent a player as Cabrera. Justin Verlander was a different animal because he was a horse. He was not an everyday player. There was very little to dislike about what he did. He didn't age precipitously. He wasn't an 80% version of himself at any time. And you even see that right now as he's pitching well for the Houston Astros at age 39, even after serious health concerns. Stevie Eiserman was the captain and the champion on those Red Wings teams, but he never had the same hiccups that Cabrera did. He was the ultimate city team guy, glue guy, best player on the team, but also the face of the franchise and the ultimate captain. That's why they call him the captain. Little pro tip there. Gordie Howe, too young to remember him, but again, he played until his 40s and continued to play at a level that players half his age were jealous of. So the Cabrera thing in summation has been a bit like a marriage. You're so happy you get to see this person every single day, but you're also so frustrated sometimes that you have to see this person every single day. You learn to love all their great qualities more than you ever thought you could but you also get annoyed by the things that they don't do well that get under your skin. Uh, it's been productive and much like a marriage, things have changed over time and we've aged together. There's been some great years. There's been some bad years, but more than anything, you're just thankful 
if you're a Tigers fan, that one of the greatest careers in baseball history primarily took place under your watch that you got to enjoy it. The thing that will always make it just a little bit less special is that those Tigers teams that were so good that made two world series went one in eight in those two appearances. Cabrera did not play particularly well in either of those fall classics, the enduring image of him taking strike three to end game four against San Francisco giants in 2012 was painful. The 2013 team, which was the best one they ever had considering that pitching staff and what happened in Boston still stings. If Miguel Cabrera can't single-handedly will his team to a world series, all this legacy talk should be proven to be a bit specious, a bit arbitrary. The measure of the man is not how many championships he won. It's what he did each and every single day when he went to the ballpark. And what he did when he stepped in the box was hit as well as any right-handed player ever has. Congratulations, Miguel Cabrera, when it happens. It's a special day when it happens. I'd love for it to be this afternoon, but this is just a chance to bask in the culmination of a career that has been spectacular from day one and hopefully has many more bright spots left to come. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.